So WordServe, I want to ask you, where do you want to be in seven years? Who do you want to be in seven years? And the question that I'm asking today is not about what do you want to have, what house do you want to live in, what car do you want to drive, what neighborhood do you want to live in. I'm not asking any of that. What I'm really asking at the core of this question is who do you want to be seven years from now? Seems like an odd question to start with, but I want to, to put our minds into a forward mode today because we're talking about the future you. And we're going to talk about ways that we can help shape who we will be in seven years from now. And better yet, not just who we can be, but who we can be as Christ lives and moves through us. So where we have been, uh, this is, this is the, uh, the, the two options, I guess, that you have when you consider the future. One looks bright and, and wonderful. The other looks mm, not so good. But I will tell you that the things that we're going to talk about today will help us shape what that looks like in the future. And this is where we've been. So we're on the future you, and that is you, but this, this is also the future university. We're going to study how we can make ourselves more like Christ. And given time, given seven years, amazing things can happen. I mean, Christ can make amazing things happen overnight. But imagine if we walk steadily with him for the next seven years. Bill, why did you choose seven years? Because it's a biblical number. I just pulled that out of the hat. It doesn't really matter how long, because you can follow Christ literally into eternity. There is no expiration date on Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of this. They tried to snuff him out once. It didn't work out. Hope that's not a spoiler alert, right? So where we've been, uh, all of this is about feeling stuck. That's where we start. Like, man, I am the same person that I was several years back. And, and I will tell you that the, the important thing to get here is the small things done consistently. That's what's going to make the difference. That's why we've had this sermon series. We went from being stuck. We talked about who you are, holy habits, how to break bad habits, how to establish good ones, how to quit trying and start training. Well, today we're going to combine all of that together to see how it comes out. And I hope it comes out well for you because think about this. Who you are right now, I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands or a scale or anything, but I want you just to honestly ask yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, are you happy with who you are right now? And I'm, I'm not looking for feedback. This is a personal exercise for you. And if the answer is not 10, guess what got you here? Guess what got us here today in that less than 10 state? Our habits over the last seven years. So while we may say, yeah, man, this is the year I'm going to break through. I'm going to be you know, fit. I'm going to lose weight. Great. But that takes habits, not intentions. I don't know if you're aware of this, but intentions don't change anything. But habits do. So it's the action behind the thing. And it's not just a one-time action either. It's the consistent action headed in a specific direction. I don't know if I've said that enough yet. So we'll, we'll keep going on and see if you can uh, have this apply to your life as well. So future you. And we're going to go into the book of Galatians today. Paul is giving some uh, great advice. And he is talking to a community of believers you know, sometimes you're never really sure who, who is Paul talking to here. He's talking to an established community of believers. And the challenge that they're having in their church, like so many other churches, is they have some false teachers that are coming in. And, and that sounds like very nefarious, like, ooh, false teachers, ooh, there's something going on. Now, some of them are very well-meaning people. Because one of the challenges that they're dealing with is, you know, they, they've just come out of this Jewish uh, sect, if you will. And, and so the traditional Jews are saying, hey, You've, you've got it wrong. You, you need to go back to the old ways. And they're like, no, no, we don't. Jesus said we didn't have to do that. 
And so Paul is trying to figure out how this all goes. And there's going to be a lot of things. You know, we, we think that the Bible doesn't really apply because it happened so long ago. You know, those are different people. And you're going to see today that we're not that different than they are. And, and that's good news and bad news. You know, it can be hopeless if we go, yeah, you, nothing changes. Well, here's the good news. God doesn't change either. And so if we can figure out the challenges that they had and overcame, that means we can figure out the challenges we have and overcome. This is all good news. And we're going to get into chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. And there's uh, two parts of this question. So if you're taking notes, as I read this passage, I want you to think about what am I sowing in my life? What are the daily habits that I have that maybe I don't even think about? And then there's a, there's a two-parter today. This will come more towards the end, but I want you to go ahead and capture it. What will that produce? What is it that I'm doing today that's going to produce that thing in seven years? So think about that as we open up God's word, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Paul says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Amen. So let's unpack this a little bit, because it seems a little, a little bit curious what Paul says. He starts off with saying, don't be deceived. We just mentioned that he's dealing with some false teachings, some teachings that are trying to pull people away from the true teaching of Jesus. Don't be deceived. And then the very next thing that he says is, God will not be mocked. Now, what does that mean? Are, are we making faces at God? Are we not playing well with others? What, what does it mean that God won't be mocked? Well, it, what, what matters is what he says next. God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. So we, we have some choices on what we sow, but God will not be mocked. That means that there's a principle here. And the principle is this, we reap what we sow. So if you want apples, you can't sow orange trees and then be upset that you didn't get apples. Right? We reap what we sow. If you want fitness, you've got to sow nutrition and exercise and sleep. And if we're not sowing that, then we can't be mad that we don't end up in a state of fitness. If you want wellness, you've got to sow seeds of peace, of faith, of trust, of healing. And if you sow anything else, we can't be upset that we don't have wellness. You see how this works? God cannot be mocked. This is a principle, and a principle, by definition, cannot be broken. You can break yourselves against a principle, but the principle itself will never be broken. And why do I say this? As we get into what we're going to see the Galatians were doing, and we're going to relate to that, you see that we have uh, similar things that we struggle with, thinking that we can get around God's law, thinking we, we can break a principle. Well, I'm surely the exception to this, right? Yeah, no, we're really not the exception. So let's talk about what he talks about next. He talks about sowing to the flesh. Now, sowing to the flesh, that sounds really weird, right? But here's what he's dealing with specifically. There's two ends of this spectrum for the Galatian church. I'm going to call them law and liberty. Law and liberty. So here's the challenge that they're facing. The law side is where the, the, the Jewish community is coming in and saying, man, you've got to do all the old school things. 
or you're not going to get to salvation. You've got to follow God's law for salvation. And they're confused because they're saying, these other guys are telling me I'm saved by grace through faith. So, so, So what is it? And you see how a young congregation would be very vulnerable. And, and you also see the importance of good, sound doctrine and teaching. Because this is not true, that they didn't have to rely on the law for their salvation. That's what Jesus came for. Now they're trying to be pulled back into that. So, so part of that is they're, they're trying to pull them back into the law. They're sowing the flesh. Like, if you just do good, then you get, you get eternal life. You get to spend eternity with Jesus. So I'm so glad that we don't try to just do good things today to make up for anything else. Or is it just me? All right, so law is one side of the thing. They're trying to pull them back into you must do these things in order to be saved. What do we have to do to be saved? Belief. Yeah, there you go. But it doesn't end there. See, now here's the other switch. So you had the law. Now let's go to the liberty because this is the other thing that the Galatians are struggling with. Well, if Jesus died for my sins and all I have to do is to believe and I'm saved and I'm forgiven, then I can do whatever I want because Jesus is going to forgive me. Isn't that accurate? Uh, now we're struggling here. We're scratching our heads. Wait a minute. How does this work? Well, here's the thing. Yeah, so, so if you didn't go to the law camp, you go to the complete other end of the spectrum, like I can do whatever I want. Well, not so. And that's what Paul means about sowing into the flesh. We can literally, we can choose whatever we want. We have free will. We can make any decision we want. I could go out of here today and be a total knucklehead. That's my decision. But the problem with that is there are consequences to that knuckleheaded decision. And not just for me, but for whoever else experiences my knuckleheadedness. Right? Sowing to the flesh. If you want to know what that means, uh, we always talk about if you're uh, confused or you're not sure what something means, read the Bible in circles. I'm going to give you a little Bible study tip here. So reading the Bible in circles simply means I read this passage. It's right here. I don't quite get the context or I don't get what it means. Read a little bit after that. Read a little bit before that. Read a little bit after that. Read a little bit before that. You're reading the Bible in circles to try and build and flesh out the context of the passage. The context here, Paul, you know, uh, as much as I, get, I rag on Paul because he does run on sentences and like never takes a breath, he's actually pretty succinct here in Galatians. So if you just turn the page, well, turn the page for me. It might be more than a page for you. You're going to see what it is, the, the works of the flesh. And, and it's in chapter 5. Uh, for example, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I'm reading out of 519. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Let me, let me just give you the laundry list here, see if this rings uh, true with anybody here. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, drunkenness. I, I could go on. That's what happens when we sow to the flesh. That's when we go, okay, you know what? I can do whatever I want because Jesus is going to forgive me. Well, Jesus does forgive us, but Jesus also calls us to live something higher. It's not the law. It's, it's love. The new law is love. Now, that also tends to make us think, well, yeah, if he loves me, let me do whatever I want. How many people are parents here? How many people love their children? How many people would do anything for your children? How many people would let your children do anything? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, if you really love me, you would let me jump off that cliff, right? Yeah, no, no. I, in fact, I won't let you do certain things because I love you. See, that's where this line gets drawn from between law and liberty. It's not do whatever you want. 
It's do what God calls us to do. And God calls us to do things and to live a certain way because of love. So law or liberty, neither one is exactly right. The answer is somewhere in the middle, and it all revolves around love. And I'm not talking mushy, sentimental love. I'm not talking about love that says, yeah, you do whatever because uh, I won't love you if I don't let you do whatever you want. I'm talking about the love that would cause someone to come down and find you, search and rescue. I'm talking about the kind of love that would send Jesus to a cross. I'm talking about the kind of love that leaves no person behind. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to. It's a great adventure and never a dull moment. Uh, if you're a part of that lifestyle, you know what I mean. So, he says instead, we need to sow to the Spirit. Well, again, I don't know what that means. I need some context, Paul. Well, again, we're going to read the Bible in circles. I'm just going to put up a laundry list here because right within chapters 5 and 6 here, Paul gives us some examples of what it's like to sow to the Spirit instead of sowing to the flesh. So he talks about serving one another in love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's not the first guy to say that, by the way. Gentle restoration of those in sin. Carrying one another's burdens. This is sowing in the Spirit. Does this sound like a place that you would like to be, the people you'd like to be around with? Yeah, it does to me. So what do these things all have in common? This is, this is open mic time, so we're going to have a little discussion here, like a giant small group. What do you notice about all these things that they have in common? And there's no one right answer. There are things that Jesus teaches. Love for your fellow man. What was it? Kindness. Yeah, well, we could use a dose of that, couldn't we? What else do you notice about these things? I love it. Selfless and something. Helping one another. Nice. Not just intention, but actual action. Right, because as we learned earlier, intentions solve nothing. Actions do. Right. So you guys are good, man. You hit all the highlights here. Are you guys looking at my notes? <laughs> so think about this. This is all about love and, and the kind of love that I described, that search and rescue kind of love. This is all about doing what Jesus says, not because we have to, but because we want to. This is all about the other. I don't know if you've picked up on that. It never says me, 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 I, I, I in there. There is no I in team, but there is a cross. Ooh, zinger. There we go. All right. <laughs> so all this is sowing to the flesh. And, and the way Paul says it here, it's almost kind of off-putting. He says, if you sow to, the flesh, or sow to the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. It's like, yeah, but what about right now? I'm, I'm interested in right now. I don't want to wait for eternal life. What's the benefit to me now? What have you done for me lately, Jesus? And so hang on, because we're going to talk about that too. So we sow to the Spirit. This is a great thing. And I want to give you two keys to success when we try to implement this sowing to the Spirit thing. The first key is focus. What is it that we focus on? Well, I think we get this wrong a lot of times. I think uh, I know that I do. Because I focus on the success. And, and we do that because it's splashy. It's big. You can put your hands on something. You can count something. It would be easy for WordServe Church to say, you know, we're, we're doing great because we've had uh, X amount of new members. We had seven baptisms two weeks ago. That's awesome. You know what we should do? We should do more baptisms. And now I focus on baptism. 
And you know what the problem with that is? There's nothing wrong with baptism, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Did you hear what Pastor Bill said? He hates baptism. No, <laughs> I'm a big fan, actually. But if I start focusing on the number of people I baptize, then my tactics change. And pretty soon I'm talking to people about, hey, have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? You really should be baptized. I'm going to put some pressure on you so that I can get you in that water. Why? Because that's what I'm focusing on. That's what counts. The numbers of baptisms count. I focused on the result, not what brought people there. I'm focusing on the harvest and not the planting, not the sowing. So what we should be instead and focus on is what is it that we've been doing that allows people to come to a place where they decide that they want to be baptized? That's what we focus on. And you know what it is? I don't know. I mean, I... <laughs> Oh, the pastor doesn't know what's going on. Well, that's true. But here's what I mean. I don't know of any one thing that we did that caused seven people to get baptized. It's a combination of several things over time. And here's what I think it is. I think it's a dedication to the word. We preach and teach the word. I think it's a dedication to serving the world. I don't know if you noticed, but the second half of our name is serve. And we continue to do that. We have continued to do that steadily over time. Are we perfect? Nope. I'm in the church. That means it's not perfect. So if, if you're looking for that, uh, good luck. It's the consistent things. It's the, the adherence to the word, and it's the action, not just the intentions. That's one of the things I love about word serves the most, is and not only do we have the intention as spelled out in the word of God, but we have the action that supports it in the serve, in each other, in the world around us. I see the word come to life. And I'm in a unique position. I, I wish I was better at telling stories because I see so many things where the word and the serve have come together. I see so many things where community has helped one another, lifted each other up, e either locally or around the globe. I gotta get better at telling you stories because if you, if you got to see everything that I get to see, you would be amazed at our God. I'm constantly amazed at God and I'm constantly amazed at you as well, by the way. But that's what is possible when we put action behind that word. That's what we need to focus on. Don't focus on the result Focus on the sowing, the consistent, small things that we do over time. No farmer, well, maybe some farmers do this. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. Uh, probably said, you know, look at that crop. We got 100 bushels of name your favorite thing. Yeah, so next, next time I'm going to get 110 bushels of whatever. And so I start to do some shortcuts. I hire, you know, the special pesticide person to do their thing. And I hire blah, 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 because I'm focused on 110. But you know what? I never weeded. The, the field. I never plowed it. I never fertilized it. I never made sure it had enough water. You see the small, consistent things over time that produce that harvest. That's what we need to focus on, Word Serve. Don't get distracted by all these other things. Focus on the Word. Focus on serving the world. Let's do that well and consistently. And over time, who knows what God will do through us. So our focus is a big problem. And here's the other interesting thing. So we're asked to focus on the sowing part, not necessarily the reaping part. Now, granted, the reaping is much more fun, but the sowing is not so much, but it's the sowing that does it. So here's another thing that helps in this process as you think about making disciples. See, now, right when I said that word, making disciples, that phrase, you probably thought, how many people have become disciples that I've been uh, attached with? As, as uh, one of my friends and I talked about, you know, how many people have you saved? I said, I've saved zero. That's Jesus' job. I'm just in marketing and advertising. 
<laughs> right? How many disciples have you made? Word serves. That's the, that's the thing that we focus on, and it's the wrong thing to focus on. We don't focus on the result. We focus on the sowing of that seed, the watering of that seed, the constant care of that seed, and we let God do what God does. What farmer ever gets involved? Hey, seed, you're not doing your job. You need to get you turn a little bit this way. Okay, put the root over here, not there. It, it, yeah, good. Right? Farmers don't do that. So why do we try to do that when it comes to the Christian faith? It makes no sense. That seed knows exactly what it needs to do. The word of God never returns void, knows exactly what to do, knows exactly where to put the roots. We just got to let it do its work. But we can water it with encouragement. We can surround it in love. We can, as I said, gently point out sin and restoration. We can pull, help pull the weeds, the thorns that choke out the growth. We can help point it towards the sunshine if it's forgotten its way. But we don't tell the seed what to do. How many disciples have you made? I don't know. That's not my measure of success. You know what my measure of success is? How many seeds have I sown? It changes your perspective because all of a sudden that number that seems daunting is up to me now. I have control of how many seeds I sow. Do I tell that person about Jesus? Do I not? Do I offer an invitation to church? Do I not? Do I offer to walk alongside with someone in a time of struggle, never knowing if they'll accept it or even talk to me again or not? I'm throwing seeds, and that's my measure of success. And I didn't make this up. This is right here in the Word. So let's not worry about the totals. Let's not worry about the harvest. Let's worry about the seeds. That's what we can control. And by the way, they're not my seeds, so guess what? Unlimited supply. I'm never going to run out of seeds to sow. That's what this word tells me. So all of a sudden, my measure of success is how many seeds I'm casting, not how many disciples I'm making. That's Jesus' job. That's the Holy Spirit's work. So hopefully that takes a little bit of pressure off of us and gives us a little leeway to actually go about the business of sowing seeds that make disciples. The second thing I want to help us do is to have some patience. Man, are we an instant society or what? I ordered something off of Amazon uh, two days ago. It didn't come yesterday. What the heck, Amazon, right? I mean, come on, I got things to do here, right? Two days, this is ridiculous. Uh, I know you're shipping it across the country and probably doing through all kinds of stuff, but why didn't you get it here yesterday? Right? We have no patience. We, we don't think like uh, farmers anymore. And I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating because oftentimes we want the quick fix. I was listening to the radio the other day, and they're talking about this. Uh, the, the, one of the DJs got on. They're talking about this uh, challenge that her and her husband had to lose weight and, and see who could lose the most weight. And it was an advertisement for, uh, I won't say the name of the company because I'd probably get charged, but uh, this mm -mm -mm weight loss. And you take this pill, and it contains these chemicals. Well, that's one way, I guess, to do it. But you, you're addressing the symptoms, but you never address the root cause. We don't have the patience to wait. We don't have the patience to look at our diet, to look at our exercise, to look at our sleep. We don't have that kind of patience. We just want the pill that's going to do the trick. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes there aren't circumstances that might require a surgery or might require a pill or might require a chemical balance. I, I'm not against all of that, but I am against the idea of treating the symptom and not treating the disease, not getting to the root core. When it comes to Jesus and our community, what do you think the root core is? I, 
I'll tell you what I think it is. I think it's our hearts. I think it's a lack of love. Why else do you think God tells us, above all, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as yourself? That's the core. That's the thing. But love takes time. We have to focus on it, but we also have to have patience in it. And I, I know you've all raised your hands already. You know who you are, parents. But has your patience ever been tried as a parent? Yeah, fortunately, you're over that stage. It'll never happen again, right? Yeah, until like 1045. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it happens all the time. And this is part of how we operate. So I want to encourage us as you go forward in this idea of sowing, let that be your measure of success. What they do with it is up to them. God will work. His, his word never returns void. The seed knows exactly what to do. Let's just encourage it. Let's sow it. Let's point it towards the sun. Let that be our measure of success, and we will see results in the end term. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that's the way God works. So let me ask you again, WordServe, where would you like to be seven years from now? What could you be like if we did the small things consistently, if we adopted the holy habits, if we spent time talking and listening to God? What could we be if we sowed seed faithfully over the next seven years? What could God do with that? How could the Holy Spirit work? And I'll give us one of two choices. We can either continue to live the way that we've lived and gotten where we've gotten and our life will be so-so, or we can take this as a mission to make disciples and say, so, so. Hey! hey. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> now, is this easy? No, if it were easy, anybody could do it. But Jesus shows us the way. The Holy Spirit equips us, reminds us, and teaches us of everything that we need to say. And I just want to say this word, sir. That the last verse that we read today, I think, bears repeating because I know that many of you are struggling out there. I know life is hard. And sometimes we use it as, a, as an excuse not to sow seed, but there's never been a time when we needed to sow seed more. And there's never been more seed available than now. I mean, who doesn't own a Bible these days? Who can't forward a link? Who can't share something that is inspiring? Who can't offer someone, even our prayer? You heard the prayer. We can do that on email. We can reach literally the entire world. So why are we so stingy with our seeds? Are we afraid that we're going to run out? I don't know. Have you seen my father's storehouse? Endless, endless, exactly. So I just want to say and share the last part of Paul's verse as an encouragement, because I know that life is hard. And here it is. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up, word serve. So, so, let's pray. God, thank you for a love that has not ever given up on us and never will. Your word promises that your love is eternal, everlasting. Your mercies are new every morning. God, help us to recognize the availability of that, that we don't have to ration this love. We don't have to ration this seed. It is endless. God, you call us to sow this, but sometimes we feel responsible for results that aren't ours to feel responsible for. 
I pray this morning that you would help us to see the value of sowing. Sowing to the spirit, not to the flesh. Sowing consistently over time. And let that begin with us in our lives, in our families, and those that are closest to us. God, help us to take away that burden of having to, to save someone, to cinch a deal. We know that that's your job. Help us to recognize our lane and stay in it. To sow the seed in the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, in the name of the Son, and to the glory of the Father. Amen.